In this true crime series, we're investigating 10 crimes that are recorded in the Bible. Today, we turn the page to the New Testament. But before we get to today's episode, I want to ask if you've had a chance yet to check out all of the great Bible content that Time of Grace has to offer. There's Pastor Mike's weekly video messages, Grace Talks video devotions, Grace Moments daily email devotions, seven other podcasts in addition to Bible threads, and weekly blogs. Check them out at timeofgrace.org. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. As you may recall, this current 10-episode series is my second podcast series on the true crimes of the Bible. After completing the first series, which my colleagues at Time of Grace decided to publish as a book, I was invited to do some national radio and podcast interviews. In one of the interviews, the hosts began by saying, in a, in a good-natured way, Dr. Becker, before we get started, I just have to ask you why you didn't include the Bible's worst criminal in your book. It was a great question. My answer was that I wanted to include some crimes that weren't as familiar as the one he was referring to, but he had a point. So in today's episode, we're going to investigate the crime committed by arguably the Bible's worst criminal. His name, Judas Iscariot. His position, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. His crime? He betrayed Jesus, which led to Jesus' arrest and subsequent death. Let's start with his name, Judas Iscariot. The name Judas was the Greek version of the Hebrew name Judah, a common name at the time that means praised. A little bit more challenging is the meaning of the word Iscariot, which in Greek is pronounced Ishkarioth. Most Bible scholars believe that Ishkarioth comes from two Hebrew words, Ish and Karioth. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Karioth was the name of a town in southern Judea located about 30 miles south of Jerusalem. So Judas was likely a man from the town of Karioth. The Apostle John, in his biographical sketches of the life and ministry of Jesus, also twice referred to Judas as the son of Simon Iscariot. Simon was also an Ish, a man, from Kerioth. By the way, there was another town named Kerioth in the region, but it was located in the country of Moab, east of the Jordan River, near the northeast shore of the Dead Sea. And so it is highly unlikely that Simon and his son Judas would have hailed from Moab. Now, 
If Bible scholars are correct that Judas was a man from Kerioth in southern Judea, he perhaps was unique among Jesus' chosen twelve disciples. Six of Jesus' disciples, absolutely sure, were from the region of Galilee. Galilee was in the north and Judea in the south, with the region of Samaria sandwiched in between them. We don't know for sure where the other five disciples were from, but it may very well have been that Judas was the only one of Jesus' twelve disciples from Judea. Perhaps this would be a good place uh, just to mention Jesus' twelve disciples. After all, they were eyewitnesses to the crime that their fellow disciple Judas had committed against Jesus. These are the names of the twelve apostles. And we read this from Matthew's Gospel. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, Bartholomew was also known as Nathaniel. James, son of Alphaeus, was also known as James the Less, not because he was inferior, but because not much is said or known about him. In the record of the Gospel accounts, he speaks only once. And then there was Thaddeus, who was also known as Judas, son of James. All of the disciples were uneducated Jewish commoners. Jesus didn't pick disciples from the influential upper class or from among the religious elite. Among his followers, there were several fishermen, a tax collector, a political activist, and several men whom we know nothing about. Judas apparently had some business or financial acumen since he was tasked with managing the finances for the group. Overall, it's significant to note that Jesus chose ordinary folks to follow him, and for three years he trained them to be the future leaders of his church. As we read through the four biographical sketches of Jesus' life and ministry, we meet Judas Iscariot a couple of times before the events of Jesus last week in Jerusalem. The first time is after Jesus taught that he himself was the bread of life. This was a difficult teaching for some of Jesus' followers, as we read from John chapter 6. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. The word that Jesus used, translated as devil, means slanderer. Jesus already knew that Judas would one day betray him. The second time we meet Judas Iscariot is about a week before Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
Jesus and his disciples had been invited to a dinner, given in Jesus' honor, at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. As the guests reclined at the table, Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What a beautiful way for Mary to honor Jesus. Now John's gospel account of this dinner party continues. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So here we get some insight into Judas' morally bankrupt attitude and his criminal actions. Judas was a man who was motivated by greed. He claimed to care about the poor, but he could care less about the poor. He wanted Mary's pint of perfume sold so that he could get his hands on more money. The greed in his heart led him to embezzle money from Jesus and his fellow disciples. Simply put, Judas was a thief. There's also an important detail mentioned in John's account of this dinner party that would soon involve Judas. He wrote, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The religious leaders already had plans to kill Jesus. Now they added Lazarus to their hit list because people were coming to Jesus because he had raised him from the dead. Judas from Kerioth has a Bible thread that extends back into the Old Testament during the time of King David. In fact, there are three references in the Old Testament that speak about the betrayer of the Messiah, the promised Christ. Two are in the book of Psalms, and the third one is from Zechariah the prophet. The first reference is in Psalm 41, a psalm written by King David, who experienced his fair share of betrayal too. Both the religious leaders and Judas are spoken of in these verses. David wrote, My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it all around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Now, we know from the gospel accounts that the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead and his name purged from society. And Judas, he professed his allegiance and friendship to Jesus and broke bread with him. Yet he turned against Jesus. 
The phrase translated in English as has turned against me is even more descriptive in the original Hebrew text. The phrase literally means has lifted up his heel against me. Now, now, now hold that thought for a moment. Let's fast forward to the upper room where Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples on a day that we call Holy Thursday. Listen to how John described what happened in the upper room. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up, talking about Jesus, from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Did you catch the contrast? The very heels of Judas that Jesus washed in the upper room would soon be lifted up against Jesus. Quite a glaring contrast, don't you think? During that Passover meal, Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him. When his disciples questioned him about who it would be, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas had uh, taken the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It should not be lost on us that Satan showed up in Judas's life to influence him to do what he was about to do. There's a lesson for us here. Satan would love to show up in our lives to lead us to walk away from the relationship we have with Jesus. Staying connected to Jesus is what prevents Satan from entering our hearts. From the upper room, Judas went to meet with the Jewish religious leaders to arrange for his betrayal of Jesus. The second prophecy in the Old Testament that points to the character of Judas is found in Psalm 109. This again is a psalm written by King David. Listen for the references to the enemies of Jesus and one reference specifically to Judas. David wrote, My God whom I praise, do not remain silent, for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few, 
may another take his place of leadership. Now, my guess is, is that in these verses, you could picture the Jewish religious leaders lying about Jesus, bringing false accusations, and signing Jesus' death sentence without a legitimate reason or cause. But where's the thread that links this psalm to Judas? It's there, but we need a little more help to see it. It's the last phrase, may another take his place of leadership. But how do we know that the psalmist was prophesying about Judas? Well, the Apostle Peter explained the connection. He did so following Jesus' ascension into heaven, but before the Holy Spirit showed up on Pentecost. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of the Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. That, by the way, is a quote from Psalm 69, and may another take his place of leadership. A quote from Psalm 109. I'll talk about Judas's death and this field of blood in the third prophecy. But the point that Peter was making here was that the 11 remaining disciples needed to choose a replacement for Judas. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Matthias took Judas's place, which fulfilled the prophecy in Psalm 109. Well, that brings us to the third Old Testament prophecy about a betrayer of the Messiah. It's from Zechariah chapter 11. If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. We know from the gospel accounts that Judas made a deal with the religious, uh, Jewish religious leaders. Judas would betray Jesus' whereabouts on Holy Thursday in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, 30 pieces of silver was the exact price paid to the owner of a slave if that slave was accidentally killed. So Jesus was betrayed for the price of a slave. 
But again, how do we know that this prophecy was speaking about Judas? Well, the New Testament Gospel writer Matthew explained the connection. Judas betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with a kiss. And long story short, Jesus was arrested, tried before a kangaroo court of the Jewish religious leaders, taken to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion. The Gospel writer Matthew picked it up there and shed light on Zechariah's prophecy about 30 silver coins and throwing them into the house of the Lord. This is what he said. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the, listen, to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. The Greek word translated as seized with remorse expresses a desire that what was done be undone, but it doesn't reflect a change of heart or repentance. Judas, unlike Peter, did not repent of his treachery. He only experienced dread for the wrong he had done. An innocent man was going to die because of him. We know from the Gospel accounts that Judas hanged himself and that his body fell and burst open when it crashed on the rocks in the Hinnom Valley, which would become known as the Field of Blood. According to historians, this Field of Blood, the Potter's Field, was located in the eastern part of the Hinnom Valley. Now, the Hinnom Valley was a valley on the south-southwest side of Jerusalem. The Hinnom Valley was also known as Gehenna. It was the place where several Old Testament kings actually sacrificed their own children with fire. Because of it, the prophet Jeremiah cursed the place. The eastern part of the Hinnom Valley meets the Kidron Valley, which was a north-south valley along the east side of Jerusalem. On Holy Thursday, Jesus and the eleven disciples would have crossed the Kidron Valley to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Judas, a man from Kerioth, was a criminal. He was a thief, and he was a traitor. So why did Jesus, who knows all, choose Judas to be one of his twelve disciples? What motivated Judas to betray Jesus? Was it more than just the money? Why did Judas, who had heard Jesus teach about grace and mercy and forgiveness for three-plus years, not seek forgiveness for what he had done? 
Why did Judas experience such deep remorse and despair? Why did he hang himself? The fact is, is that there are many questions about Judas that the Bible just doesn't answer. We could speculate, but that would be neither wise nor productive. What we do know about Judas is this. He was chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. He left whatever his current life and vocation was to follow Jesus. He spent three plus years following Jesus around Israel. He heard all of Jesus' teaching. He witnessed his miracles. He was sent out to preach the good news along with his fellow disciples. He was never suspected of treason by his fellow disciples. And sadly, he died an unforgiven man who will spend eternity, sadly, with Satan. I want to conclude today with one other interchange between Jesus and Judas. It too happened in the upper room. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Woe to anyone who betrays the Son of Man. True Crimes, Bible Edition 2. In our next episode, we'll meet another criminal who showed up at Jesus' trial on Good Friday. He was part of a prisoner swap. If you have any comments or questions regarding this episode or any other, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.